Amen. Well, please do take a seat. Thank you, Taylor and the worship band for leading us this morning. Uh, welcome to our Easter Sunday morning meeting together as Christ Central, whether you're here in person or whether you're online. So good to be able to join together and to celebrate and praise the risen Lord Jesus this morning. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. Uh, and it is my privilege to be able to speak with you this morning. The resurrection of Jesus is the central piece of our Christian faith. It's what we're all about. You know what? Some people think that Christianity is all about being good and respectable people. Let me tell you that is not what Christianity is all about. Some people that Christianity is all about taking part in services and rituals which might punctuate our lives. Uh, maybe you're here this morning because it's Easter Sunday and you go to church at Christmas and Easter. Well, let me tell you, you're so welcome here this morning. We're so glad you're here, but that is not what Christianity is all about. Some people think that the message of Good Friday is what Christianity is all about, that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. That's partly what Christianity is all about, but it's nowhere near the full story because the resurrection of Jesus is at the center of our faith because it tells us that the enemy which has come for every single one of us and will come for every single one of us at some time or other, death has been defeated. What it means is that for those of us who are in Christ, there will be a resurrection for us also. Death will not have the final say. Christ will have the final say. Now, of course, not everybody believes that. Some people struggle with the idea that once they've died, they'll be raised from the dead. Even Christians, some Christians struggle with that. They still live as though they've got 50, 60, 70, maybe 80 years of life on this earth to fill with as much pleasure and experience as they're able to. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, who we'll come uh, and find out more about shortly, said this in his first letter to the Corinthian church, to those who were doubting that they too would be raised to life. And the verse is on the screen, and you can find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 16 and 17. He said this, If the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then also those who've fallen asleep in Christ, those who've already died, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul was saying, if our faith in Jesus is just for these years that we have in our life, then if that's it, we're to be pitied among more than anyone else because Jesus being raised from the dead is so key. If he wasn't raised, we won't be either. If we just follow Jesus in our life and, that's, and we think that's it, so, such a small part of what it's all about. He says if it's just about this life, we should just be making the most of it. He goes on to say later on, he says if the dead are not raised, Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And of course, he's right. And that's what most people do. They live for pleasure 
today because they think these years of our lives are the only ones that we're going to have. So this morning, I'd love us to spend a few moments looking at this incredibly important question. Has Christ been raised from the dead? Because if he has, that can give us confidence and encouragement that we will be too. And I would argue that there's many, many reasons to believe that Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, And I'm going to give you my top 10 countdown of reasons to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. You know, you get these things online where it gives you the top 10. Top 10 reasons why da-da-da-da-da. And so mine, I'm going to give you top 10 countdown uh, as why Jesus was raised from the dead. It'll help you know where you are in the message, how long you've got to go. If you don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead, I've got 10 shots at persuading you. You only need to be convinced about one. Uh, take your pick. Uh, we're going to start with number 10, coming in at number 10. Jesus really did die. That might seem a strange one to start off with uh, when we're talking about reasons Christ was raised from the dead, but we have to be convinced that Jesus died if we're going to say he was raised from the dead. And some people would argue that he didn't die. Some people say, oh, well, Jesus was on the cross, yes, but then maybe he was just unconscious when he was taken down. Maybe he was put in the tomb, but a little while later, he just kind of revived again, and he came out of the tomb. Let me tell you, the Romans were skilled at making sure that people who hung on a cross were dead. Jesus had been beaten so thoroughly before he was even hung on the cross, and he would have endured the torture of a slow and painful suffocation along with the agonies of the nails in his hands and his feet. The biblical accounts also describe a spear being put in Jesus' side when the soldiers saw that he was dead, and John 19 describes this. It says, blood and water were flowing from Jesus. Medically, when someone dies, red blood cells and plasma separate out. So actually, this description of blood and water flowing out would have been consistent with actually what happens when someone dies. The the blood separates out. Jesus was dead. Then when he has died, he was wrapped in uh, burial linen. That weighed a lot of Weight. It was about 50 kilos of weight along with some spices. He was wrapped in that. He was laid in a tomb. There's no way he would have been able to fight his way out of the burial linen if he'd just been unconscious. And then to roll the heavy stone from the tomb, from the inside of the tomb, it would have just been impossible. Some people think, actually, Jesus never even went to the cross. Maybe he was substituted by someone who looked like him. But There's no evidence of that whatsoever. And the authorities would have made sure that they had the right person. Jesus really did die. It's attested to by many historians. Secular historians would all say, yes, Jesus died and was buried. Number 10. Coming in at number 9, the tomb was empty. Some people have said, okay, all right, well, maybe Jesus was dead and he was put in the tomb, he was buried, but maybe it wasn't that clear where the tomb actually was. Maybe Peter and John and the women went to the wrong place. Maybe they saw a different empty tomb, but that is stretching what is believable. 
The tomb that Jesus was laid in was owned by a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. He gifted it to Jesus uh, for Jesus to be buried in after he died. Jesus wasn't just laid in a common grave, which might have just got lost among many others. Joseph was a rich man, and he would have been well known at the time. And the location of the tomb would have easily been verified. He would have had to register where it was, actually, a bit like we register where our houses are, our property. It would have been able to be verified. In any case, Joseph was still alive after Jesus' death. So he would have easily been able to say, oh yeah, this is where my tomb is, the tomb that I have. So it wouldn't have got lost. Some people think, well, Jesus' body may have been stolen. And uh, that's something actually the authorities suspected may have happened or may be going to happen. That's why uh, a guard was put on the tomb by Pilate. Uh, to make sure no one came and stole it. But maybe, well, maybe the authorities did steal it. Maybe they put the guard there and they thought, we're going to be really sure. And the authorities said, look, we're going to put the body somewhere else. I'm I'm sure someone's going to come. They're going to want to get Jesus's body. But if the authorities had stolen Jesus's body, then surely they would have produced it at some point when his disciples all started going around saying, Jesus has been raised from the dead. It would have been very easy to try and silence and stamp out the new believers. That's what they wanted to do anyway. They didn't do that thing which would have stopped it right away because they couldn't, because they didn't have the body. So if the authorities didn't have the body, who might have had the body? Some people say grave robbers. They're they're not after bodies. They're after the, the, the linen, the other things that the body was buried with. They were left there. I guess Jesus' disciples may have wanted to steal the body out of honor and posterity for him, but then they would know that their claim of Jesus being raised from the dead was a lie. And you can lie for so long, but once you start getting threatened with death, and once you start getting being put to death, uh, because you keep saying that Jesus was risen, at least one of them is going to say, okay, okay, do you know what? We stole the body. It was a lie after all. None of them said that. Nobody said that. Almost all of Jesus' disciples ended up giving their life because of them being absolutely adamant, convinced Jesus has risen. Someone stealing the body, it would have come out. Number eight. Number eight. The tomb was never enshrined. What do we do when someone who we loved dies, someone who we love dies. We, we memorialize them. We put up a headstone, don't we? And we, we say something about them. We leave flowers at the graveside. We keep on visiting the grave. Uh, that's what we do when we're grieving someone, whoever that might be. If it's someone that we love uh, and if it's someone who is more famous, actually more people come and visit. We, um, <laughs> even animals sometimes, we, we went to visit a grave um, in North Wales once, many years ago, and it was the grave of a dog. Uh, Here's the picture of it. Uh, It's in a place called uh, Beth Gellert, and uh, it was the grave of a dog who had apparently um, saved the life of a baby. What had happened was the owner had come back. He'd found um, that there was a baby's uh, cot, but there was blood all over, and he thought, and the dog was there, and he thought that the dog had killed the baby, so he shot the dog. 
And then he found out later that, that actually the baby was alive, but there was, a, there was a wolf that the dog had killed. And the dog had killed the wolf, saving the baby's life. But he'd gone and shot the dog. So this dog became very famous. It's called Gellert. And it's Gellert's grave, and it's memorialized. And as you can see on the picture, people go and they leave flowers. And this is like centuries later, seven, eight centuries later. People are still leaving uh, flowers. We actually took a tin of dog food and left it there. <laughs> little bit of a joke. Um, but people do it all the time. It's what happens when someone dies. There are shrines of holy men all around the world who have died and are revered by people today. People travel all over the world to make a pilgrimage to Medina, which was where uh, the Prophet Muhammad um, died. Um, they travel to Kushingar, where Buddha died. Not just holy men. People go to, in Tennessee, you've got Graceland, haven't you? Um, where, where, which is kind of a memorial to um, Elvis Presley. Over 600,000 people a year visit there. They pay good money to see the shrine to this rock and roll musician. But you won't find the grave of Jesus as a place that people go and visit. Because now, actually, people don't even know where Jesus' grave was as time has gone on. If you go and visit Israel, as I have, you'll find tour guides, and all the time people are saying, where was Jesus' grave? We want to go and visit it. And they say, I, I have no idea. They don't know where Jesus' grave was. So they show you graves of a typical nature. You know, we went and saw uh, other graves and with the stone and everything, and said it was something like this, but we don't know where it was. Why don't we know where it was? Because it wasn't important to memorialize it, to remember where the grave was, because Jesus didn't stay there. He's risen. Why focus on the grave when you have someone who's been raised from the dead? So no one knows where Jesus' grave was now. Number seven, the first witnesses were women. Now, you might think I'm being incredibly sexist, pointing out that the sex of the uh, first witnesses has anything to do with whether Jesus was raised from the dead, but it actually does. You see, some people would say, ah, well, you know what? Jesus' resurrection was just a clever story that was made up a few years later by the writers of the Gospels. It didn't happen at all. You know, it's just this tradition that's grown up around Jesus, and, the, and they put it, the, the writers made the story up. Listen, if the early church had wanted to make up a story about Jesus being raised from the dead, uh, if they were just trying to get some traction, some converts, they would have done a much better job of persuading people because they had, would have had the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection as women. And in those times, women were not allowed to vote, they couldn't own property, and their testimony, they, they were seen as unreliable witnesses. They would have uh, rarely been able to give testimony in court. So what they said wouldn't have been able to carry much weight. It would have kind of been discredited. If the early church wanted to come up with some kind of false narrative, they would have made sure they'd got some extremely reliable and compelling early first witnesses so that people would believe them. But they didn't do that. They said the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection were women. Why did they do that? Because that's what happened. The accounts are true. The first people to see the empty tomb and the risen Lord Jesus really were women. It wasn't a made-up story. 
Number six, Jesus appeared to many people. It was 40 days before Jesus was raised to heaven. And during those 40 days, he appeared to a number of individuals and groups of people in different places. It wasn't just a few people who saw Jesus who then went on to convince others. It wasn't just his disciples. At one point, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at the same time. And he says to the Corinthians, he says, many of these people are still alive today. Why does he tell them that they were still alive today? Well, because they can go and check it out. He said, if you don't believe me, just go and, and talk to some of the people who saw him. They're still alive. There was no, no point in saying that otherwise. Otherwise, he'd say, oh, yeah, he appeared to people, but they're all dead now. But, you, do, you know, that's what happened. No, he's saying you can still go and talk to them in the letter that he wrote. Even when these early church documents were being written, there were still a number of people who could attest to the resurrection of Jesus because they saw Jesus themselves. They were eyewitnesses. They weren't just imagining it. You can have one or two people who might have imagined they saw someone, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sure that was so-and-so over there. No, this was 500 people. You don't get 500 people all believing that it was Jesus. You don't get mass hallucinations going on. Many people saw Jesus alive. Number five, Jesus' followers remained loyal to him. The reason that um, authorities crucified or killed uh, leaders of religious movements or, or whoever it was, was to stop that movement in its tracks. You read that in the Gospels. They, you know, they were like, we've got, the crowds are getting too uh, big. Too many people are following Jesus. We're going to have to do something to stop that happening. How do they do that? Well, they go after the leader. They go after the leader. That's why in a war, people uh, go after the generals and the military leaders more than anyone else. That's why when the government wants to stop a protest such as the truckers' protest the other month, they arrested the leaders of the protest. Because if you get the leaders, the other's followers get discouraged and stop following. If you kill the leaders, then that's pretty much the end of it. Jesus quoted a phrase himself saying, strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. Crucifying Jesus was supposed to deter his followers. It was supposed to stop them starting a religious uprising, which would threaten the priesthood and the, and the established religion. And it makes sense, because once you're dead, your movement tends to be dead. There's been a number of uh, cults over the years, religious cults, especially in North America. And uh, the, the one that I really remember from the 90s was uh, run by someone called David Koresh, he claimed that he was God, and he led a, a group called the Branch Davidians. And he was killed in Waco, Texas, in a, in a siege. They, the, the police all came in, and they, and they tragically killed a number of people, including uh, the leader. Now, did the Branch Davidians really flourish after the death of their leader, who claimed to be God? No. Pretty much died out right away. And that's the same that happens when most religious leaders are killed. But that did not happen with the followers of Jesus. They continued to go. They continued to preach about him. They continued to teach that because they knew he was no longer dead. He was alive. And the early church grew and grew and grew, 
even under great persecution. The fact that two uh, millennia later, the church is still here is testimony to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Number four, the disciples became courageous. They grew in courage. Remember how cowardly the disciples were as Jesus was being arrested and crucified. They fled. They hid. They were at a distance apart from Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He said, I'm never going to desert you. I'm never going to leave you. He actually stayed a little closer. He hung around in a courtyard, but when people started saying to him, hey, weren't you one of the followers of Jesus? He denied it. He was so scared. He swore that he never even knew Jesus. Why did he do that? Because he was so fearful for his own life. And we might have some sympathy with him in that. You think, well, yeah, okay, but this is a dangerous place to be. If I suddenly say, yes, I'm following Jesus, maybe they're going to kill me with him. You can understand it. He was fearful for his own life. Yet after Jesus was raised from the dead, especially after they'd been filled by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the other disciples became incredibly bold and courageous. They started healing people in Jesus' name. They started preaching very publicly, drawing attention to themselves. A number of times they ended up getting arrested. They were told, you must stop preaching. You must stop teaching about Jesus. And they stood in front of the authorities and they said, do you know what? We can't help but do that. We know what we've seen. We know what we've heard. We've got to keep on preaching. You, you can tell us to stop, but we can't do it. And, and so they went back and they, and they prayed that they would have even more courage. And, you know, at one point they got arrested and then, and then they were released supernaturally from prison and they were out preaching again. You know, they kept on doing it. They wrote letters talking about the resurrection. Peter wrote letters. Paul wrote letters. Others wrote letters preaching about Jesus being raised from the dead. And they died still affirming that Jesus was raised from the dead. As I said, most disciples were killed for preaching this. Many in horrific ways. And they refused to deny it. Surely, if they were at all uncertain, they would have backed down at that point. Tradition tells us that Peter was said, look, we're going to crucify you if you don't deny Jesus' resurrection. And he said, okay, crucify me. He said, he said you, you can kill me. He said, I'm not actually worthy to die in the same way as Jesus, so crucify me upside down. Tradition tells us that's what happened. They died deaths saying Jesus is alive. What makes someone go from being, not just one person, what makes someone go from being so fearful for their life that they would deny even knowing Jesus to being someone who will gladly risk death and eventually die themselves saying Jesus rose from the dead? Only an absolute certainty that that is true. These disciples would not have given their lives for a lie. They were absolutely convinced that he was risen. Thomas was a doubter. Thomas was one of the disciples who did doubt. And the other, the other disciples saw Jesus first of all. And Thomas was like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to believe that unless I see it for myself. 
like many of us, you know, we're like, oh, I'm not so sure. I need some evidence. I need some proof. I mean, hopefully that's what I'm trying to uh, give us this morning. But, you know, Thomas got the proof from Jesus. He got the proof that many people are looking for. Jesus stood before him and he showed him his hands and his feet. And he said, look, Thomas, I'm here. And Thomas fell at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. When we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, that's our response. We worship him. We bow down and we worship him. And that's what many of us have been doing this morning. And I believe many more will do even as, to, as we go on. Even today, we may get new worshipers of Jesus. That's number four. Coming in at number three, Jesus' followers and, the, and his family worshipped him as God. There were many... Um, people who followed Jesus, but to see someone and follow them as a prophet or a leader is one thing. To worship them as God is actually another thing entirely. Um, for most religious people, it's a horrendous thought um, to worship someone as God. This is one of the main sticking points for, for Muslims who really revere uh, Jesus as a prophet, but they're saying, well, you know, we can't, get, we can't worship him as God. He can't be God. Well, understandable. The, the first two of the Ten Commandments pretty much say there's only one God and we just worship Him. We don't worship anyone else. So the, the, the Jewish people at the time, the devout people would have, would have thought, you know, of course we're not going to worship a person as God. But they became convinced that Jesus was God. His followers did worship Him as God. They fell at His feet. Jesus didn't stop them from doing that. There was another occasion where the apostles were, were in a place and people, and they did a miracle and people started worshiping them. And they quickly said, no, 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 stand up, stand up. We're not gods. We're not gods. Don't worship us. Well, when people bowed down and worshiped Jesus, when Thomas, as we just said, my Lord and my God, Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. You've gone a bit far there. Yeah, I'm back from the dead, but I'm not God. He didn't say that. He accepted Thomas's worship. They worshipped him as God because they were convinced he was God. And never mind just his followers, his family. His family worshipped him as God. Can you imagine your mother believing that you were God and worshipping you? <laughs> they know what you were like as a kid. <laughs> They're not going to worship you. They're not going to believe you were God. What about your brothers or sisters as you've grown up? No chance. Much more likely to think that you're the devil. If you, if you wanted to start a religion, you don't start with your own family. You get well away from your own family who've seen you and known you growing up, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go where someone doesn't know me, and then I'm going to tell people that I'm God. No, Jesus convinced his own family. Actually, they did, he didn't convince them at first. While he was in his three years of ministry, his family actually were very skeptical because he was saying some of these things, and they thought he's gone crazy. At one point, they went to where Jesus was teaching, and they said, and, and uh, his followers said, oh, your mom's come for you. Your, your mother and your brothers have come for you. They've come to take you away because they thought, what's he doing? He's gone crazy. Of course they would think that. Of course they would think that. But after the resurrection, 
Mary, his mother, is there worshipping Jesus. His brothers, James, Jude, they became leaders in the early church. They wrote books of the Bible about him. His family were absolutely convinced Jesus was raised from the dead and was God. Number two, Jesus' enemy, Paul, was also converted. Paul, or Saul, as he was also known. Absolutely convinced that Jesus was dead. Absolutely convinced. He was one of the ones who was out to get Jesus' followers, to stamp out Christianity altogether. Can't believe that people are saying Jesus has risen from the dead. Can't believe this movement's still going. He was going to go out. He was going to get as many Christians as he could, arrest them, put them to death, imprison them, whatever it took. He was going to stamp out this movement. And he's on his way to Damascus, and he has an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. He gets knocked off his horse. He falls to the ground. Luke records it in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul himself talks about it in several of his letters, and he encounters the risen Lord Jesus. And from that day on, he is a changed man. He was fully convinced that he had met with the risen Lord Jesus. And so now, instead of going place to place, persecuting Christians, arresting them, he's going place to place, telling people about the risen Lord Jesus, beginning churches, strengthening churches, going back, even though there was still persecution. He was like, come on, let's be strong in the Lord. We're going to, because Jesus is alive. Jesus' greatest enemy became his greatest advocate. Why? How does that happen? It's a historical fact. Because he'd encountered the risen Lord Jesus. He was absolutely convinced. It's Paul who wrote that passage that we looked at at the start of this message, persuading people, Christ has been raised from the dead, and you will be too. And finally, number one, coming in at number one, Jesus is still changing lives today. This is some of the greatest evidence of Jesus being alive that there is. We're now 2,000 years on from the events of that Easter Sunday in Jerusalem, and more and more people around the world are still following Jesus. In most towns or cities around the whole world, you will find churches. And if you talk to people there, wherever you are, and ask them what their experience of Jesus is, they will tell you how he is alive and how he is working in their lives, how he has healed them and changed them and delivered them, them from oppression and brought them peace and joy, changed their life completely. Time after time, the story is the same. Well, it's different for different people, but it's the same because it's Jesus changing it. It's my story. It's the story of many of you here today. It's your story. We've been doing podcasts as a church with different people here in the church telling of how Jesus has changed their life. And you know what? We could pretty much go around everyone and they would all have a different story, but it would all be the common thread is that their lives have been changed by the risen Lord Jesus. They found peace and joy and forgiveness and fulfillment and hope and grace, freedom from guilt and shame. It's happening today. It's not just emotionalism. It's the reality of the risen Lord Jesus living and working and changing lives. And if you're here today and that is not yet your story, do you know what? By the end of this morning, it could be. 
Because you can meet the risen Lord Jesus today because he is alive. He's here by his Holy Spirit. You can know him today. Why not open up your heart to him? Why not ask him to do all of those things in your life? You know what you need in your life. Jesus can change you. Jesus will change you. Many people still today dismiss Jesus' resurrection but if you ask them, they don't have answers to these things that we've been looking about this morning. And you've heard my top 10 reasons, but there are, there are more we don't even have time to go into. The fact that secular historians at the time write about it. The, the fact that the worship day changed from the Sabbath Saturday, which had long been established to people starting worshiping on Sunday. We don't have time to go into all of that. But in the end, what it comes down to is Jesus is alive and he's working in your life. What do you want your life to be like? Do you want to just try and be good, live a good moral life, but be unsure that there's anything after this life? Paul says if there's nothing else, if it's just for this life, we're to be pitied among more than anyone. Or do we just want to live for today's pleasures? Let's eat and drink. Tomorrow we're going to die. Or do we believe, are we convinced, as the disciples were, as many, many people have been, that when we die, we're going to start the rest of our lives with Jesus, which will go on for eternity, a resurrected life with the, risen, with the resurrected King Jesus. Will we give our lives to worship him as the disciples did and of so many others have throughout history? I would urge you this Easter morning, that this is the only way to live in the light of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we stand together? Let's, let's just do that. Let's worship and praise the risen Lord Jesus this morning. I pray that you have been convinced, if you weren't already, that Jesus is alive today. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what's going on because these are objective reasons to have full confidence that Jesus is alive today. I'm going to pray as the worship band leaders in a final song. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you did send Jesus to the cross, that he did die for us. As we were looking on Good Friday, he died for our sins. He died to take on what we should have taken on. But Lord, it's not just for this life because Jesus was raised from the dead. Thank you, Father, for raising Christ from the dead to show that the power of death has been defeated, to show that everything is going to be renewed, that we will have a resurrected life with Christ as we are in him. And we can give our whole lives to him in full confidence. Whatever people say to us, whatever people do to us, we know the risen Lord Jesus. And we know that that future in him is secure. Nobody can snatch it away because the power of death has finally been defeated. Praise you, Lord God. Amen. <laughs>